Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Longshot's off-track betting. Go to BetfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Yesterday's concert is a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. There's, there's a little bit of spirituality that you're bordering on, right? I'll go ahead and say it. Obviously, the instruments put out good vibes. And, and, and when you're in their presence... There is a powerful feeling that comes over someone who spend a lot of your free time listening to concert, listening to music or going to concerts, right? Like you do, that then then it's gonna it's gonna elevate to a whole whole nother space that I think it enhances your life, right? I mean, music does. And and to see the instruments in person is 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 very different than than watching a video or just having someone talk about it. We try to do it, you know, as Welcome concert goers, music fanatics, and music history buffs. My name is Lance Ingram, and in this episode of Yesterday's Concert, we talk to Larry Hall, the chairman of the Jim Irsay Collection. He discusses what's been called the greatest guitar collection in existence. Grab your earplugs as we dust off some of music history's most notable instruments. So I am here with Larry Hall, the chairman of the Jim Irsay Collection. We're going to talk a little bit about this. How are you doing today, Larry? Are you doing well? Yeah, doing great. Just uh, excited about a big event we have coming up this weekend and all the preparation that goes into it and the excitement of people uh, coming to see the artifacts and the musical performance. How are you? I am doing great. And so I can't wait to talk to you. I've, I've been looking at pictures of Jim's collection and it's just absolutely rising all sorts of emotions within me, just of excitement. Um, so before we get started, let's do a couple icebreakers, just have a little bit of fun. So the first one that we're going to do is, since we're talking about collecting today, what was the first album that you ever bought? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Uh, 
I remember actually, I'm old enough. I remember this single, the 45, mm. uh, ain't no sunshine when she's gone. Bill Withers. Fantastic. Right? And I counted how many times he said, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> it was 26 times, right? With my one little single that I had, um, became a big Aerosmith fan in my middle teens growing up on the West side of Cincy, um, had some a Stevie wonder double album, I think was a gift. Um, I remember my freshman year high school girlfriend gave me Elton John's greatest hits, with the white hat and the bow tie and he has his hand his hand. Yeah. and I actually gave her that same album. We didn't know we were giving it to oh, each that's other. Hilarious. So, yeah. Hilarious. There's, that's a, that's a great question. How about you? What, what was your first? Ooh, uh, Boston self-titled. Uh, my dad, my dad was a big classic rock fan and driving around with him when I was like 12, 13 years old, I heard it and just fell in love with the, the loud guitars and the big riffs. And uh, I, I had to, you know, I, for months I've been making fun of him because I'm a little teenager and I've been making fun of him like, Dad, this is old people music. This is lame. And then there was just that day where I was like, I'm going to have to eat crow and see if he'll let me borrow that CD now. <laughs> and so it, and it turned into a great thing with my dad and I got to see a lot of legends together. And it's just it was a really beautiful thing in the long run. So it was really cool how it all worked out. But yeah, yeah thanks for sharing. That's a cool yeah. story. OK, so second question. What you get a little greedy here. What's one item from Jim's collection that you wouldn't mind bringing home with yourself? Oh wow! Um, well, I'm such I'm such a preservation and security, you know, just geek for lack of a better term. I'm not comfortable with any of it, like at my house. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like the top thought of it physically being here is like I couldn't sleep knowing that that's <laughs> in the other room. Um, I, I think if, if 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 it were if I tweak your question a little bit and say one it's one of my favorite things, like there's it. so many I absolutely love. I'm not just saying that um, you know, American history, pop culture, rock and roll. Uh, the guitars are the rock stars typically of the of the of the public events that we have, but Elton John's piano. Elton John's piano was used almost eleven hundred times in concert over a 20-year period. It's a beautiful piece. The last time John Lennon was alive on stage in front of an audience was with Elton John and this piano. Okay. And then it was also lent to Freddie Mercury for a year of Queen. They toured with it. And then it was taken from Lacquer Black to Lacquer White. And Paul McCartney used it at Live Aid. 1.9 billion people watched him play Let It Be on this piano. So, so that piano is really very, very special. If I had to pick one thing that, you know, it's because of its physical size, because of its history the diversity uh, of, of places that it's been and the artists it's connected to uh, that's pretty special, but there's so, so many. So, so yeah, many. that's incredible. No, I love it. So that, that was kind of leading into the next question I had. Is there anything in his collection that you saw in person, like David Gilmore's black Strat? Did you ever see pink Floyd with that? Is there anything yeah, like that? That's, that's is there anything like that in the collection today? I got, that you I got saw? A little, thank you. Yeah. I got a little chill when you said that because way back at the old RCA dome, you know, the Colts played originally in the Hoosier Dome, came the RCA Dome. That structure was torn down after the new building. Lucas Oil Stadium, Christmas Thursday, owns the Colts. And um, he and I had invited a group of staff that worked with him back then. And gosh, I'd have to go back and look at the year. It's been a long, long time ago. But the Black Strat, I would have seen live. And, you know, he had those little epiphanies later, like, oh, wow. Yeah. Saw David Gilmore, saw Pink Floyd, and he he was playing the Black Strat. So that's definitely one. Good, good call on your part, because we really didn't <laughs> talk about that ahead of time. That's awesome. So uh, my last question, is there anything that Jim Irsay is looking for that he doesn't have in his collection yet that he's still really pining to get? You know, it's interesting that that, that question does come up. And 
you know, there was a period of time where uh, many, many decades ago, not many decades, many years ago, he started two decades ago collecting in earnest with the the uh, on the road scroll, Jack Kerouac. But many years ago, I can't remember what year it was before I was involved directly in the in, in the uh, collection and overseeing it. And I've been with the team in the University of Fame for 39 seasons. So I've known him four decades. But I know he went after a Wilson volleyball and mm-hmm. didn't get it. Kind of had some regret about not getting it at the time. We recently got a Wilson volleyball. So that's one that's kind of been on our radar for some time. And it's screen match. We know it was used in the film. Uh, uh, the, the prop store is the auction house that 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 does. They do two auctions a year. But um, it's a lot of people that work in the movie industry. So that's one that he recently got that we had kind of been looking for for a while. Other than that, I think, um, you know, any iconic uh, artist uh, loves guitars, but American history, certainly. Um, uh, and then again, pop culture, all three of those things. We really try to keep a pulse out for what's coming to, to auction and or well, obviously there are times we get solicited for private sales as well. Mm-hmm. Well, that's we've kind of hinted at it already. And I wanted to get you to tell me just a little bit about what the Jim Irsay collection is for people who may not know. But I, I just have to read a brief list of some of the incredible. I mean, since this is a music podcast, some of the just incredible instruments that are in his collection. So David Gilmore's Black Strat, as mentioned, the Bob Dylan, Dylan Goes Electric, Fender Strat, Kurt Cobain Smells Like Team Spirit, Fender Mustang. Prince's Yellow Cloud, the Ringo Starr drum kit from uh, the Ed Sullivan Show, Jim Morrison's Paris Notebook, and the Jerry Garcia Tiger guitar, which is my personal favorite in the collection and something we'll talk about in a little more. But Larry, can you just tell me a little bit about the Jim Irsay collection as a whole? Well, I think it's the most eclectic and the best collection in the world of this type of, 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 of it's an amalgamation of Jim Irsay's preferences, really, um, over time. and. Even he steps out um, a little bit of his own history, if you will, if he knows the significance of something. For example, he's huge on Beatles, John Lennon, certainly Bob Dylan. Um, you know, and, and I'd like to think, you know, given he's 63, I'm 62. Kurt Cobain, you know, we were a little past maybe that, but he recognizes and understands how significant Kurt was to music, how it changed the way people you know, dressed and acted and the way music was 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 actually made. Um, so getting the Kurt Cobain Smells Like Teen Spirit guitar was very significant to him. But that's not one that he grew up, you know, listening to because he's older than obviously Kurt's peak of popularity. Um, it, it, I think overall, think of it this way. Um, if it if it's something that has and I, I've said this to many people, but if it has an iconic artist uh, instrument artifact, right? And moment in time, moment in time, because all these things are about capturing experiences, right? So there's many examples in in the collection where where those three things come together. The Beatles drumhead from the Sullivan Show, right? Incredible piece, Ringo, that moment in time. The the Bob Dylan Strat that you referred to was played at Newport, right? With a folk festival. It's the first time Dylan went from playing an acoustic folk music and at intermission, he switched over to electric. And as I understand it, I wasn't there, right? I understand it. Half the people booed, half the people cheered, right? Um, but that's a very piece in a really iconic moment in time. Um, there's other things in the collection that that certainly resonate to that point. Um, Eric Clapton's MTV Unplugged guitar. That particular guitar, um, he goes on MTV Unplugged. And, and before that, I'm told by a luthier out of New York, I'll quote Carrie Keene, right? Carrie said it saved acoustic guitar making in America. Wow. 
when Clapton went on MTV Unplugged with that acoustic. And I said, Kerry, explain that to me. He said, look, as I as he understands it, acoustic guitar making and sales had really started to drop off. That particular episode of MTV Unplugged happens with, with Eric Clapton playing, and I think it was six Grammys, Song of the Year, Layla, and their sales shot up again, right? So you think about um, how great Clapton is, that particular Martin guitar, and then the moment in time, MTV Unplugged, all those things coming together. Uh, oftentimes, th those those are ties of artifacts in the collection. Um, we have Harry S. Truman, President Truman's hat that he wore on Inauguration Day. Okay, that's a moment in time, right? That singular day where he became, you know, leader of the free world. Um, we've got JFK's rocking chair. There's um, a number of letters from George Washington, Lincoln. Um, uh, a host of things in that American history. I know this is really more about music, but even in the music piece, um, Jim Morrison's gold microphone wow. is, you know, serial number on it and, and, and the, that he used every concert the last two years of his life, except one. So they kept track of what microphones were being used. And that's the beautiful thing I love about that Elton John piano too, right? I mean, it's obviously got a serial number on it. He actually signed it. Um, hope you enjoy this as much as I did Elton John. We weren't the first, people to acquire it after he sold it. But when we got it from uh, Heritage Auctions in, in, in Texas, um, that signature still remains on the gold harp that's inside of it. So a lot of the artifacts have their own special history. They're special in their own right. Um, but there's this intersecting point, even Tiger, right? Tiger, the last time Jerry Garcia performed from a live audience at Soldier Field, he, he played Tiger. Well, and that's, so when I think about collectors, and this may be the way movies or whatever have framed my mind, it's always somebody acquiring these things for their study, something at home in their mansion. And yet we see that typically that's not how these things go. Typically, when these people are buying these legendary items, they're providing them to the public in some way. Like the first thing that came to my mind was Jack White when he bought Elvis's first uh, recording. He turned around and produced it onto an album that people could actually purchase. Um, so what was Jim Irsay's reasoning for turning this into exhibit? Well, I think that it comes down to this. Jim Irsay says he's the steward of the horseshoe, the Colts, right? And a steward of the artifacts, the Jim Irsay collection. Um, and he wants to share the inspiration and joy that the artifacts and the, the performers, the people connected with the artifacts created with other people. And, and to your point, there are some folks that, that do share I think most people that acquire things do kind of hold on to him a little bit. He's not that way at all, right? At his own expense, um, we're going to be in San Francisco this weekend. It's the eighth stop that we've taken, and it's just a little over a year. Last fall, we started in Nashville, went to D.C., Austin, L.A., New York, Chicago, Indianapolis at our football stadium, and now we're coming to San Francisco, so the Bill Graham Theater uh, on Saturday night. Very cool. Well, so tell me who who's coming to these exhibits? Is it mostly people who grew up in the classic rock era or is it young people who's coming to this? There is a wide range of people that come. Um, I will say it skews a little bit older, uh, but but it's interesting to see. It's really cool for me to watch when people in their 20s come together and they're fascinated and they know the history behind a tiger or the significance of Clapton or obviously the Kurt Cobain smells like teen spirit guitar. Um, there's a number of different things that um, uh, are, are connected to both music and it sees things ble bleed and blend over, right? To me, the Beatles' appearance on The Sullivan Show wasn't just about music history. It was American history, right? Changed the way people thought about, about music. Uh, Kenny Aronoff, the drummer from the Jim Irsay Band that's played with Mellencamp and Fogarty and others, 
um, says he clearly remembers his mother calling him in to watch it, you know, because he didn't have DVRs or recordings then. Um, it, I, it's it's really very, very fun to be around because people will look at the artifacts and reminisce with someone that they're with. Um, I do see younger people coming and being excited about it, and that excites me. Well, what do you think it is about for younger generations? What do you think it is that's attracting them to this? I mean, I'm 33. And like I was telling you earlier, I grew up on classic rock. Classic rock radio was my foundational like music taste. What do you think it is about that era that attracts younger generations? I, I think there's an energy to it. Uh, for me, I remember growing up and thinking it, it wasn't disrespectful, but to me, rock and roll has an irreverence. It's like, it's not that I don't care about you, but I'm doing my thing, Right. And I'm bringing energy to what to what I love to do and the way I want to live my life. Um, and that's that's kind of the thing that one of the things that drew me to, to, to rock music in particular, classic rock, as you said. Um, I do think there's cool stories that people share about about enjoying uh, classic rock music with their with their uh, parents and, and kids to passing it on to their kids now. Um, I know I have grown kids that still talk about how we used to listen to the Eagles together and sing together in the car, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so there's a lot of times that um, it's 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 the shared experience really that that drives people to want to come see the artifacts. And then I think seeing them live, there's nothing like that. Right. It's great to see video, still photography. But when you can go share that experience and, and then reminisce about maybe seeing Pink Floyd at the old RCA dome, that's really, really cool. Special. Well, and that's and I know Mr. Ursay has made it a point that he wants these instruments and these things in the collection to inspire people when they come to see him. He wants them to inspire them to maybe pick up an instrument or to pursue their own dreams. And one of the things that kind of as I was preparing and thinking through this, I started thinking about, like, you know, as a teenager, I had posters all over my teenage walls just of Jimmy Page and Eric Clapton and all these guitar gods. And I would sit there with my guitar and just look at them posing, wanting to be like them. Is that something that you're just seeing with people as they come through? Is it kind of inspiring people in that way of like, hey, I want to be a cool rock god one day too? Oh, there's no question. Well, I've I've gone and I'll we have um some guitar specialists that'll stand in front of the guitar wall and talk with fans that come to the events about it. And they'll they'll share their own experience, how they learned to play maybe when they were, I don't know, 10 to 12, some younger, some a little older. But the cool thing today, as you know, is with technology, now people can jump online. They don't have to go to a music. Like when I grew up, if you didn't go to a, a music store and take a lesson, you couldn't learn to play. But now literally you can get an inexpensive guitar from a secondhand shop and sit in front of a computer screen and do a Google search and, and, and get lessons online and learn how to play. So um, I think that's empowering to people watching videos of these instruments being played by those people who are guitar gods, right? Watching Clapton play, watching Prince, you know, David Gilmore, uh, Kurt Cobain. I could go on and on and on. Uh, Jerry Garcia, right? Yeah. Um, that's inspiration. And then to be able to reflect back and pair all that together, coming together of the genesis of a person learning to play, going to see this rare instrument live, and then watching a video that they saw before they even went and know that I saw that live. It gives them energy. It lifts them. Well, that's something I wanted to talk about. And it's something I was thinking about is, you know, at the end of the day, Kurt Cobain was a man, just like you and me. He was just an individual. He's just a person. What makes that Smells Like Teen Spirit guitar so special? I mean, I have three guitars sitting in my home office right now. What makes his guitar so much more special than the one sitting in my office? What was used to create this mindset of, hey, and hearing, I like the word irreverent. 
And I want to be really clear. Irreverent doesn't mean disrespectful. It's not disrespect. It's irreverent. It's like, I don't, I don't care about other things, other people's way of living. I'm going to live this way. I'm going to dress this way. You know, his sweaters that he used to wear, right? There's an iconic green stripe one I remember. And he had a cardigan in particular. I think that was worn on the show as well. But in the end, um, even watching the video, I think it just empowered people to realize that it's not about disrespecting the person, but it's okay to live the way you want to live. Um, obviously, there is another twist to this, too, uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about. Of course, Kurt had some challenges. Obviously, his life ended very early. Some mental challenges. And so Mr. Ursay, in addition to putting his own resources into kicking the stigma, which is a, is a charity that was created to bring about mental health awareness and care, um, as a part of Kurt's family, when they when they went to auction off the guitar, they took a portion of the proceeds and contributed to Mr. Ursay and his family. Kayla and his daughter in particular is really spearheading it with it with her sisters and the whole family, right? Um, the Kicking the Stigma campaign. So there's a recognition too that um, it's okay not to be okay, right? And that particular piece uh, is a small part of the tour as well. We have uh, some information set aside, some wristbands, and, and there's a website, of course, you can go to to find out places in your local area we can get help. But um, in the end, you know, Kurt died young, and and I think there is uh, a romanticism, frankly, you know, unfortunately that happens, whether you go back to like James Dean era, uh, there's a lot of people in the 27 Club, Jimi Hendrix, you know, that died at that same age. Um, so he's a unique individual, right? Someone who, who um, showed that you don't have to play the music the same way that other people did, right? He may not have invented grunge, but I think he popularized it, and that's something that uh, Mark Johnson, our guitar specialist, and I have talked about. Well, and I think it also speaks to just the level of how much the, the significance of these songs and what they mean to people. I mean, for for there to be a connection between the mental health awareness connected to just that guitar alone speaks to what Kurt Cobain did, whether or not he intentionally or not did that. And that's something that I believe rock in all of its glory or just music in general elevates above other types of art because it is able to translate in that way that many other art forms are not. Is that something Shining that a light on it's important. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. And that's, and that's really, the, that's really what I, th I think um, from the tragedy, right. Of, of his life passing uh, and, and then take that to recognition by the Ursay family that kicking the stigma, the stigma of, men of mental health challenges, that's really the focus of the charity making sure that people can find resources, et cetera. But it starts, it all begins with the acknowledgement that it's okay not to be okay. Kick the stigma of, of, of having, you know, people not want to talk about mental health as, as, as a true health challenge. So that's very important to, to, to Mr. Ursay, to Jim, you know, Ursay and, and to his family. Um, I'm really proud of the work they're doing in that space. Sure. Well, and that's, you know, I was thinking through, there's an NPR, I was reading an NPR article about music archival, and there's a quote that I'm going to read. It says, it's important, even as digital laziness overtakes us all, to remember the thingness of music. And as, I, and as I've been preparing for our conversation, I was thinking about, like, you know, I, I've seen many classic guitars in person, and, I, and it's always taken my breath away. And I've always wondered, like, what is that mystique of seeing the instrument in person that is so different from seeing it on the video? And, it's, and I think it's it's the connection to the moment, connection to the emotions that were triggered in me the first time I heard that Boston CD or the first time I watched, you know, Pink Floyd Live at Pompeii or whatever it may be. You know, at the end of the day, these instruments, yes, they're instruments played by men, but they're markers for human life. They're 
moments that mean things for us. Is that sure? And I think there's 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 a little bit of spirituality that you're bordering on, right? I'll go yeah. ahead and say it. Say it. I think obviously the instruments put out good vibes, and and mm. and when you're in their presence, right, there is a powerful feeling that comes over someone who spent a lot of their free time, right? I mean, we all there's things that we have to do when we have to do them so we can do what we want to do when we want to do them. And if you choose in your free time, you spend a lot of your free time listening to concert, listening to music or going to concerts, right? Like you do, then 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 it's gonna it's gonna elevate to a whole whole nother space that um I think it enhances your life, right? I mean music does and and to see the instruments in person is 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 very different than than watching a video or you know just having someone talk about it. Um, we try to do a you know as great a job as we can. Obviously, taking it on the road certainly follow tons of protocols with custodial care, you know, high end art shippers, security tracking, all sorts of things like that. When we present, uh, we first started, we took ten guitars and a guitar wall, right? Really awesome, cool. Some of our top ten pieces. It's grown now. There'll be 30 guitars on display, actually 31 guitars on display in San Francisco. And so people stand in sort of a jaw drop moment. They kind of kind of pick yeah. it up. When they start looking at one after the other after the other because there's just that many icons there. Um, it, it's really something that I don't take for granted. It's really very fun and cool to be around. And, and, and of course, I take it very seriously. And It's a big responsibility, but it's cool to have, you know, Jim Mercedes Trust to oversee the collection. Well, and that's, I mean, you, you bringing that up, I'm curious, what does it take to move this from city to city and back home again? I'm sure, I mean, this is delicate art that is millions of dollars. How how much care do you have to go through all that? Well, it, we, we take here again, take it very, very seriously. There's a series of standards. Um, we always work very uh, hand in hand with our insurance company, listen to their recommendations. Um, I try to elevate and improve what we do each time. Um, I've talked, we, we've built a network of people who work in museums, who deal with different artifacts, all kinds. Uh, we have some people on retainer, uh, like our, our guitar specialist, Mark and Eric Johnson. Um, Jim Canary is a guy that works at the Indiana University. Uh, it's IU Lilly Library. He's a paper preservationist. So anything to do with paper, he looks after that. The scroll, he comes and unfurls it. Um, he's 68 years old, has a long white beard, looks straight out of central casting. Um, I just this year hired full time uh, a guy who's actually about your age in his early 30s, Jake Chef. And Jake's been a wonderful addition. Um, he spent four years at the Indiana State Museum. He was at the Smithsonian for two years. He has a master's in museum studies. OK, so he's really dedicated his adult life to um, uh, care of artifacts. He was the lead registrar for the whole state here. And um, so he's been a great addition. And it, it's fun to be around people that have specialized in something. And, and and learn from them, right? I mean, I don't care how old you are, you can always learn more. Uh, one of our appraisers said, Larry, you get a master's class every day. And I said, what do you mean by that? And she said to me, she goes, look, you talk to people who do that one thing really, really well their whole lives. And then you, 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 you learn, right? You learn, whether it be a guitar specialist, piano people, paper preservationist, um, numismatics. The collection actually has a couple of $10,000 notes, $10,000 bills back when they made those, right? Very, very rare. Uh, and a $5,000 note. So there's numismatics people that are in Los Angeles and Virginia that I talk to on a pretty regular basis to um, see if there's something interesting coming up there. Um, here again, I, I'm always one to say, I don't know, but I know someone who does, right? Yeah. And, and so that network of people is everything to us. Uh, provenance, you know, making sure it traces back to the origin. I love it when we acquire something that came straight from the artist. 
Mm. Because now I don't have to prove it. I don't have to look up serial numbers and vet things through two or three people in the network or get with academic people at universities and say, hey, here's what I'm looking at. Does this does this hold up? For example, uh, Sylvester Stallone, the handwritten script to Rocky, straight from Sylvester Stallone to Julian's auctions in Beverly Hills. Mr. Ursay was the winning bidder. I was his proxy at auction. And we have that piece in the collection. What a great inspirational American underdog story, right? And I can't hear, speaking of music, Eye of the Tiger. Yeah. Immediately think of Rocky, right? Yeah. It's a great story. Yeah. Well, how much time and effort does it take to move the collection from city to city? What does that look like? It depends on where we're going. And, and I'll be candid with you. I'm not going to give away all the trade secrets sure, and sure. You know, that sort of thing, right? But but there, there's a number of different protocols that we follow. Here again, hand in hand with the insurance company. Um, there's there's high-end travel trunks involved, art shippers, um, climate-controlled uh, trucks. So the, the climate's controlled in the actual actual uh, truck itself. Um, a number of different security pieces, you know, tracking devices and things like that. Um, it, it's it's something that we here again take very very seriously. And then once we get there, we make sure that the room is set the proper way, and the only people really in the room should be people that are involved with the installation. Uh, and the same thing happens when when uh, the thing's deinstalled and and comes back. Um, obviously, you know we've got to be very careful. Some more than others. Um, for example, John Lennon's piano. John Lennon's piano was made by John Broadwood and Son. It's over 150 years old. It's older than electricity, right? Think about that. The piano is older than electricity. It doesn't seem logical. There were there were two candelabras that were on it originally, but by the time it came to us, those weren't on there. I think John the photo that. Of we have of John sitting in front of the piano, candelabras were off it, right? Um, he had two different homes that this piano was in, Tittenhurst Park and Kenwood. Um, most, not all, but most of the songs from Sgt. Peppers were composed on this piano. I believe it may have belonged to his Aunt Mimi, who, who helped raise him, but um, that's a wonderful piece. It's very ornate. The company that made it is out of business now, out of London, John Broadwood and Sons. Um, they used to make uh, pianos for Mozart and the King of England, not this King of England that we have now, but the one back, you know, a uh, hundred and some years ago. So um, really, really cool piece when it comes to preservation um, and, and, and display quality. I've, I've connected with people from the Louvre and the Met and Smithsonian. Um, we ordered some uh, high-end museum cases to display guitars from a place called Glasbow Hahn, Glasbow Hahn out of Frankfurt, Germany. They're on their fifth generation of leadership. So the company's a couple hundred years old. Um, expensive, I'll say, right? But you get what you pay for a lot of times. And, and these particular cases, I would contend, are appropriate for, you know, $1.5 million, $2 million, $3 million, $4 million guitars that are displayed in them. They have a 10 to 12-day air exchange rate. So things that are put in the case are preserved, right? In order to get the proper display, worked with some people from uh, the Met, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and they have mount makers who made this perfectly form-fitting mount. It looks like about the shape of a horseshoe to come up from the back and then come forward because rather than have it come straight ahead, it's meant to just look like it's floating in midair. Really high-end cases. And um, someday, you know, Mr. Tracy's talked about possibly going to a museum. If that happens, these cases certainly could transition right into that space. Right now, nothing's eminent. He loves taking it on the road. He loves the musical performance. Yeah. That's so cool. Well, that's, so when you were talking about John Lennon's piano, I was thinking, you know, for people who live, in, I've heard, for people who live in Paris and stuff, they see the Eiffel Tower every day. It becomes white noise for them as they commute to work in the morning. 
does it ever get tiring to see John Lennon's piano or any of these archive? Like, does it ever get tiring for you? Not yet. Not yet. I don't <laughs> think that's going to happen. Um, there's, I, I recall when I first started in the role, and here again, I, I'm a lucky boy. I fell in love with football at the age of five. We started working with the Colts as the lead ticket person at 24. And now I'm in my 39th season with the Colts and the Ursay family. Worked with Jim and his father when his dad was alive, right? Known the team. But um, it never has gotten old for me. Early on, I was a little awestruck, even to the point where like, hey, you know, put on my blue, you know, latex gloves and I'm going to move this guitar now. But fortunately for me, as I said, I've got a network of people that have taught me some things, something as simple as picking up an artifact. So if this is a rare artifact, um, the people at the Met taught me this. It's like, first of all, never pick it up until you know we're going to put it down. Oh, wow. Sounds simple. But they said people will do that all the time. Where does this go? You know what I mean? Wow. So you got to know where it's going to go. And then always three or more points of contact, right? So your feet on the ground is one, two. But if I put my elbows on the desk, if this pretend this was sitting on a shelf, and now I've got four points of contact, I've got both feet. My and, and now when I go to pick it up, I'm more stable, right? Keep it between your shoulders. It's like you're playing in traffic, got a glance over your shoulder, and you when you turn and carry it. So those just little simple things like that that gave me a little more comfort when I started in this role. And then I've learned a bunch of other things from a bunch of other people who do the same thing that take care of artifacts at museums. But we're to the point where we we want to, I want to specifically improve everything we do, right? No one knows everything. The group is smarter than the individual. And I've built a network that we have that feeds back into the Jim Mercer collection that shares knowledge, right? And and things that are appropriate for one guitar may not be for another. You know, we've got, um, you know, you've probably heard people say, oh, pre-war Martin, pre-war Martin, talking about pre-World War II typically. Well, Mr. Ursay, Jim Ursay, in the collection, we have a pre-Civil War Martin. Think about that. It's a little parlor guitar, right? And it needs a little TLC. That one doesn't travel. It's very, very fragile. But, um, and not that we wouldn't consider doing it someday with the appropriate, you know, packing and so on. Um, but in, in the end, uh, custodial care is a big deal. Um, here again, try to do everything we can to keep increasing the way we do things and, and giving the proper attention that everything uh, deserves. Hmm. Is there what's the temptation to just sit down again at John Lennon's piano or Elton John's piano and just to play it and just to feel that magic? Is that temptation real for you? I, I think it's something that I've thought about. Unfortunately for me, I, I'm not a performer. Um, uh, had an experience in grade school real quick. I'll tell the story. Back <laughs> then, if you didn't if you didn't have your own, you had to go to a music store. And so I begged my parents and um, I came from pretty humble beginnings. So it was a big deal to spend money on music lessons. And they told me that I couldn't learn to play the guitar until I learned the notes. And since we didn't have a piano in our home, are you ready for this? This is what they gave me to learn, an accordion. Oh, wow. Ooh. If you had to pick the least cool instrument, no offense to anybody yeah. listening that plays the accordion, that's what I was given. So in, 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 in like fourth, fifth grade, I had an accordion. And after two months, I cried and gave it back to my parents. <laughs> and so funny. to this day, I'm a little scarred by that. But I still I still love music. And uh, so I can't really play myself. I love hearing people play anyone. Our guitar specialist, Mark Johnson, and his brother, Eric, have played since they were in their teens and they're 53 now. So um, every so often as they're cleaning and tuning, they'll 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 make sure that everything's and they'll go into a song. And it's just like, wow, it's incredible to hear you know, something come out of one of those guitars that um, have great history and inspired people so, so much over time. Yeah. Well, I want to, I want to hone in on one specific guitar, as I mentioned earlier, I want to talk about Jerry Garcia's tiger. That, that instrument is just very paramount to me. I have not seen Mr. Ursay's collection in person, but I have seen tiger in person. Uh, it was in the 
play it loud exhibit as part of the Met, which I believe it was on loan for Mr. Ursay. Uh, can you tell me about how he got that guitar and how that came to be? So it's been many years before my involvement in the collection, right? Um, at the time, um, it was one of the most expensive guitars sold slightly under a million dollars. But the thing about it, I, I want to be very candid here. I like some Grateful Dead songs. I appreciate their vibe, their history. I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself a deadhead. I'm not a big Grateful Dead fan, but take that aside for a moment. If you said of all the guitars, over 200, right? What's the prettiest? What's the most fabulously built? Tiger. Clearly, Doug Irwin spent six years on this guitar. The layered wood, the ornate features on the front and the back. That's the beautiful thing, right? The back is almost as cool as the front. It's got, you know, a battery inside. So you can, all the, all the options that Jerry had at his disposal to change the sound, right? And this particular event we have coming up on Saturday, we're highlighting that guitar by bringing uh, the Budman amp and a big purple metal case, both of which obviously were a part of the, that whole wall of sound effect that they had going with, with the Grateful Dead. So um, love it. Uh, it, it. It's It's got so much um, breadth and depth in the sounds that it can make uh, and obviously put it into his hands. And it was magic. In the exhibit, when I saw it, they had it to where you could get just right up on it. I mean, it was in the glass case, but I mean, it was just, you could literally touch the, I mean, just inches away from it. And I mean, I was looking through my phone this morning. I have probably 80 photos just from every single angle of it. And to be able to get just to see the wood. I mean, you're not kidding. It really is just an absolutely beautiful guitar. And, and I remember it was early in the exhibit and there was, you know, other guitars that caught my eye. There was a Hendrix guitar. I believe there was a Clapton guitar that just really caught me at first. But then when I saw that Tiger, I mean, it stopped him in my tracks. And my wife said it was just this odd mix of like, I was dead quiet, just awestruck, but just chattering away like, oh, he played this then, he did this on that. And it's just, that to me is just the reminder of what these instruments mean to people. It's just, again, going back to that general theme of like, you know, it translates the music. It goes beyond that to just, again, hitting on the moments in people's lives and what that matters. I mean, even just seeing the guitar in an exhibit is a key memory for me now. That's fantastic. Well, I, I think there's many layers to it, right? But if that wasn't a guitar, you said it's an object. Mm -hmm. It's it's a work of art. Yes, it's it's literally a work of art. And and so to that end, um, the fact that so much energy went into it, I'm sure with Jerry's input, right? Yes. So he could, from a technology standpoint, the technical piece, but just the appearance of it with the inlays and obviously the Tiger logo on the on the front, uh, but the back is very ornate as well. It has some some pearl in it. Uh, it's a fabulous piece. I highly recommend everybody come out to a Jim Mercy collection event and see it. Yeah. Well, so as we kind of start to wrap up today, I want to talk about a little bit about the future just with collecting it as well. And today's music is not so keen on instrumentation, blunt way to put it. If Mr. Ursay is still collecting in 40 years, is he going to be pursuing like the laptop that Drake made his first album on or any? What do you think Mr. Ursay would say to that? I, I've heard him uh, ask a similar question. And I, I think He's willing to be open-minded about it to what that might look like. But I do know he has a great deal of respect for, you know, the past 30, 40, 50, 60 years of music, especially as it relates to rock and roll. And there's some bleed over there. We have a Johnny Cash guitar that we acquired from 1956, one of the first ones that Johnny played. But it's really, really worn, right? Um, and I think he gifted it to his brother at one point. Um, we have a Janis Joplin acoustic guitar. So... The physical instrument versus electronics and 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 mixing and that sort of thing, um, I think will always have a soft spot in his heart. 
And there's something about the artist organically creating it with this, I think for lack of a better term, static device versus one that is synthetic, right? And overdubbed and over, over, over uh produced. Um, will always have a place in his heart. In the end, um, he's been asked similar questions and, and came back with, you know, you, you just don't know what will be in the collection going forward. Um, stepping outside the music piece for a little bit, uh, recently acquired a Civil War drum just oh, wow. a couple of weeks ago. And I'm thinking, wow, this is, you know, to see his hand-painted drum with this eagle on the front, really, really cool piece. Um, we also recently got a Nancy Wilson guitar, right? And her father evidently was in the Marines, and there's a big logo for the Marines on the back of it that she would play Barracuda on this thing and then flip the back up so people could see it, right? Could see that logo and throw out some love and respect. You know, uh, obviously we always want to do that for the people that serve. But um, in the end, uh, it's hard to say, right? I don't know for sure what that'll look like, but I do know he's open to, you know, whatever moves and inspires people. And and obviously he wants to to be continue to be that steward, knowing that someday we're all going to pass and the artifacts will will hopefully uh, live on to to be shared by others. Well, so what is, what is the future for Mr. Ursay's collection? You mentioned a, a brick and mortar location, perhaps. Is that in the future? Is it going to continue to travel? What's going to happen in the future to it? And the near future, definitely going to continue to travel. He's talked about the potential for a brick and mortar museum. But I think the more we travel and the more we get that button down, the more he enjoys it. He loves I, I know for me personally, and I, you know, I don't want to speak for you, but most people, when you make someone else happy, it makes you happy. And so that's kind of boiling down, I think, my interpretation of why he does this. He knows he gets it, but he also sees the joy it brings to others. And that that's reflected back to him. He feels the joy people seeing them watch, you know, uh, uh, whether it be Kenny Aaron on drums or Kenny Wayne Shepard playing the guitar, Mike Wanchek, Mike Mills from R.E.M., Mike Ramos. Um, those are kind of the regular guys and with some other backup singers. And then we've had Billy Gibbons play with the group in LA at the Beverly Hills Hotel. Um, this event we're doing in San Francisco, Ann Wilson from Heart, uh, Buddy Guy, who's like 85, 86 years old now, famous guitar player. And then John Fogarty's sitting in, right? So two rock and roll hall of famers with this iconic band. And, you know, Mr. Ursay comes out and he, he, he sings some songs with them. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's about joy. It's about joy, right? Making people happy. So I saw on the website that the the scheduled tour dates are coming to a close. Is there no more tour dates coming soon? Is that what people can look forward to? We're looking at some other cities right now. Uh, don't hold me to it, but um, there's a plethora. Uh, you know, New Orleans been talked about. Las Vegas been talked about. I personally have had some conversations with people at the MoPOP, the Museum of Pop Culture in Seattle. Um, I've had conversations with people at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We'd love to do something. I know I'd love to do something at either of those two places, depending on the venue, depending on you know, availability. It's it's tough to to navigate schedules sometimes. And, and certainly with the all-star band, some of those people are still playing in, in, in other bands. And then, um, you know, working out the venue schedule is is a tough piece. And then obviously, first and foremost, Mr. Ursay loves this stuff. But first and foremost, you know, Colts football, that's, that's his primary focus. And um, this is his passion, certainly, and, and the Colts are as well. But um, Navigating all those is, is, is somewhat of a challenge. Next year, I know we'll we'll do um, you know at least some stops. How many is still TBD? The year after that, 2024, we're already talking about going to Europe. Talking about doing London, Paris, maybe a third city. Sorting through all that. It's it's far enough away right now, but we're we want to make sure we get out in front of it to do it properly and do it safely. 
Well, Larry, I appreciate your time today. This has been fascinating. Hope to see this in person one day. Thanks so much for talking to me. Yeah, please reach out to me if you make it to an event. Absolutely. Okay, take care. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to another episode of Yesterday's Concert. Thoughts? Similar experiences? Disagree? Let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and even TikTok. Or you can email us at info at yesterdaysconcert.com. If you're feeling kind, give us a review on Apple Podcast. Otherwise, until next time, give us a subscribe, check out our website, yesterdaysconcert.com, and most importantly, take care of your shoes. Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years' experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Longshot's off-track betting. Go to BetfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.